Welcome to Matt's Podcast, the podcast of Matt's Therapeutics Germany. We talk to experts in various fields about current topics and issues in medicine and research. My name is Judith Lambert Baumann. I'm Head of Medical Affairs Germany, and I'm very pleased to welcome you to our Merz podcast. In line with our company's motto, better outcomes for more patients, Merz Therapeutics strives to provide valid health information and added value for doctors, pharmacists and patients. Today we would like to talk and explain with you the topic of spasticity-associated pain after stroke. Why are we addressing this interesting topic today? Well, spastic movement disorder of the upper limb after a stroke or as a result of other reasons for central nervous damage to motor network structures, for example, cerebral palsy, multiple sclerosis, can be a painful condition that limits mobility but also the patient's quality of life and well-being. We are pleased to discuss this still challenging topic with Professor Dr. Jörg Wissel. Welcome, Professor Wissel. We are very happy to welcome you as our guest today. Thank you very much, uh, Ms. Lambert-Baumann. I'm also pleased to conduct this podcast with you. Thank you. Dear Professor Wissel, you are a neurologist and rehabilitation physician and already worked as a physiotherapist in rehabilitation during your studies. Since 2012, you have been head of the Department of Neurological Rehabilitation and Physical Therapy at Vivantes Klinikum Spandau in Berlin. In the 20 years prior to that, you worked in outpatient and inpatient neurorehabilitation in Germany, Austria and the USA. You are the author of more than 200 scientific publications, various books, as well as book chapters on neurorehabilitation and botulinum toxin. In addition, you are a fellow of the Royal College of Physicians, an honorary member of the Canadian Association of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation, a member of the Scientific Advisory Board of the German Society for Neurorehabilitation and author of current guidelines. We look forward to talking with you. Thank you for being with us today. Professor Wissel, in your estimation, how often does pain in spasticity occur and what are the risk factors? Yeah, that's a very important question. Uh, actually, the majority of patients with spastic movement disorders after stroke and TBI experience pain. In a known prospective study with 100 patients, we demonstrated a strong association between development of spasticity and pain. 27% of patients with spasticity develop pain as a complaint, while only 2% of non-spastic patients experience pain syndromes. In another cohort of 272 patients with post-stroke spasticity, Only 25% had no pain, whereas about 50% had a pain on a moderate to severe level on the VAS with level equal or greater than four. That means strong pain, moderate pain that needs help. Only 5% had a level of nine or 10, so very, very severe pain. But more than 40% asked for help of those cohort medication against pain is here the issue but we should think about maybe a causal treatment 
also in levels of five or more on the visual analog scale. This high number or this high incidence of spasticity associated pain and stroke survivors draw the attention to risk factors and of course the definition of pain associated with spastic movement disorder. SMD, spastic movement disorder, is defined as involuntary muscle activation in the context of an upper motor neuron syndrome following a stroke or TBI, MS, and is represented by all positive features of the upper motor neuron syndrome. For example, spasms, spastic dystonia, clonus, associated reactions, spastic synergias, and velocity-dependent increase in muscle tone as a measure of muscle tone increase in upper motor neuron syndrome. Respecting this definition, pain in the context of spasms, spastic dystonia, spastic posture, when a stretch is applied to a spastic muscle or joint, represents spasticity-associated pain. To answer the second part of your question, in those mentioned already, we found a positive correlation between the degree of spasticity for example, measured with the Ashworth or modified Ashworth scale, the muscle tone, of course, we measured, and the degree of paresis, and the probability and severity of spasticity-associated pain. Simply said, the higher the degree of the modified Ashworth or the degree of paresis in the limb from stroke, the higher the probability to develop spasticity-associated pain and spastic movement disorder itself. According to your expertise, are there different pain syndromes after a stroke? And how do they influence the patient's quality of life? Uh, yes, uh, so pain is a common complaint, as I said before, after stroke and often is associated with the presence of sensor-motor deficits, impaired ADL and reduced quality of life and, of course, effective uh, depression uh, happens in many patients. The commonest post-stroke pain syndromes include spasticity-related pain and musculoskeletal pain without muscle tone increase, without spasticity. But there is also the central post-stroke pain or clinical jargon would be thalamus pain and the CRPS that could result in very severe pain syndromes. And it's actually very difficult to differentiate. So therefore, there is a, actually a lot of literature to look at and especially new literature that helps in the diagnostic uh, procedure to differentiate between those entities. Only one to most two percent of the patient post-stroke develops central post-stroke pain or thalamus pain syndrome with neuropathic pain, dysesthesias or paresthesias. CRPS is characterized by combination of severe pain and edema of the hand or fingers and 
disturbed vascular regulation. So sympathetic dysregulation that also leads to tropic, tropical changes of the skin and hair and nail growth changes. The most common nociceptive pain syndrome are musculoskeletal pain, as said before, with or without spastic movement disorder in the paritic limb. If there is a tight correlation between the pain and the muscle tone increase or the velocity dependent muscle tone increase, so if a stretch of, of a movement se segment can elicit pain, the diagnosis of spasticity associated pain can be established. Thank you very much for this insightful explanation. Let's move on to the next aspect. How can pain in spasticity be recognized and assessed? As explained before, the diagnosis of spasticity associated pain is based on clinical inspection of a spasm and correlated pain and investigation, muscle tone investigation. If pain is elicited by spontaneous or triggered spasms, involuntary muscle activation in body segments with spastic paresis, anamnesis and inspections allowed to establish the diagnosis. On the other hand, also a correlation between muscle stretch, velocity dependent increase in muscle tone and increase in pain, for example, when performing the investigation of the modified Ashworth score or the Ashworth score or the repass allows the diagnosis. Quantification of spasticity associated pain is another story, but it's possible and we have good examples that we can gain information from established scales. So we can use the visual analog scale But in stroke patients, for example, it is recommended to use a you know, numeric scale and not um, just a, a mark on a, on a line. Well, that could be influenced by, of course, the neglect. So when you use, for example, the 11-point box test, where a zero represents no and a 10 extremely severe pain, And five, a pain that level, you know, makes it um, possible that painkillers are requested. You have a scale you can use. So, but there is another and very well established scale in the field of spastic movement disorder. So, another reliable gathering of pain quantification in such patients with spasticity is to use the disability assessment scale, the DAS, because this scale allows in the pain rating module also to document the status before and after treatment. So zero represents no one mild, two moderate and three severe pain in the context of spastic movement disorder. And how do you explain the connections between spastic movement disorder and associated pain? A very interesting question. I'm really interested to find the solution here, but I think we have some hints how it works. So the exact pattern mechanism or connection between spasticity and associated pain is still unclear. One theory is that but maybe that counts more for central post-stroke pain, 
is the neuronal network that mediated pain and muscular tone or specificity at the spinal and cerebral level may overlap supported by the finding that pain reduction can be achieved by for example electrical stimulation like tens uh, and stimulation of the dorsal horn of the spinal cord but also indirect stimulation of the cortical motor areas pain reduction in this severe central post-stroke pain or thalamus pain could be achieved so that's an argument that the overlap the anatomical overlap can play a role in that explanation of reduction of pain in the context of of, a, of an upper motor neuron syndrome but what is this nociceptive pain or in musculoskeletal or in spasticity associated pain so in that field i think the muscle contraction itself though not the physiological the spastic muscle contraction which produces an abnormal loading on muscles and ligaments can cause this increase tone or pressure in the muscle itself it could be result from spasticity but it also could be you know a result from malpositioning in the peritic limb so when the arm is you know not in an exact position and a stretch is applied and no muscle tone um, uh, actually aids as an, a help to avoid pain then nociceptive pain can happen so another fact is that spasticity is not only uh, uh, produced by neural mechanism also rheological changes in the muscle itself happens and leading to change in muscle contraction leading to fibrosis and the feeling of stiffness that also can be a reason to develop this kind of pain so patients also reported actually in correlation to long prolonged muscle activations in spasticity for example in spastic dystonia they report pain in the muscles that are included in the spastic dystonia and you know we can think about a reduced nutritional blood flow also by this very strong con uh, contractions though pain could also be caused by hypoxia in the contracted spastic muscle Thank you. You give us interesting insights. Now let's talk about which therapeutic interventions are recommendable from your point of view. In every case of pain following stroke or upper motor neuron syndrome, a thorough evaluation should lead to a diagnosis and initiation of physical therapy. So the first step should be physical measures. For example, carefully handling of the painful limb positioning splinting or specific manual therapy from physio or occupational therapist 
Even heat and cold or mild massage sometimes help in the first instance. If generalized or focal physical measures doesn't help, it is recommended in national and international guidelines to introduce medical treatment. It is recommended to follow the topical distribution of specificity and pain. For example, in generalized or severe multi-segmental pain or specificity, pain in the arm and leg following stroke, though a severe hemispastic or tetraspastic syndrome, central acting drugs or intrathecal buclofen may be an option, but we know that only slow increase of dose of the oral drugs is necessary to reduce incidence of side effects like drowsiness or vertigo. In most cases following stroke, a focal, multifocal or segmental distribution of specificity and associated pain in the region of the most severe specificity is the focus and in musculoskeletal pain, the most frequent focus is the shoulder. In such cases, focal treatment is recommended. If a significant correlation of spasms, clonal stretch induced pain is present, though local injections of botulinum toxin are recommended in combination with focal physical measures like positioning, casting, electrical stimulation or in shoulder pain, orthosis, plasters or even taping. If shoulder pain without specificity so pure musculoskeletal pain is the focus. A suprascapular block with local anesthetics helps against pain and of course in the differential diagnosis of that pain. Dear Professor Wissel, you are the first author of a pooled analysis recently published in Toxins, which includes data on the influence of incobotulinum toxin A on pain in spastic movement disorders in upper limb from six studies. In your opinion, what are the most important findings from this analysis? Thank you for this question. Yes, as a group of scientists and rehabilitation, we are proud to put this study and publication in toxins together with MERS Pharmaceutical. Thank you. And gather data about the response of spasticity related pain following stroke in more than 500 patients. So this is the largest cohort ever published. We could show in four RCTs and two large prospective cohort studies including 544 patients that incobotulinum toxin not only helps to control involuntary muscle activity, so spastic movement disorder in upper motor neuron syndrome, it also helps to control and even reduce pain to zero in repetitive incobotulinum toxin injections in spastic muscles. We could show that severity of pain before treatment is not a predictor of lesser response. So high amount of pain is uh, is not a good predict uh, is not a good chance to reduce to zero. No, also in very severely uh, disabled patients from specificity associated pain, we could show that they have a chance 
of zero pain after repetitive uh, injections. So the, it implicates we should treat spasticity associated pain in all patients that complain or suffer from pain because there is a high chance to treat it effectively with theumine when reducing the tone in the spastic limb. In our cohort, we were able to show that 43% of stroke survivors with pain become pain-free after four repetitive theumine injections. And from a clinical point of view, how can the effect of incobutulinum toxin A on pain and spasticity be explained? After intramuscular injection, incobotulinum toxin blocks acetylcholine release at the motor end plate and injection is followed by relaxation of injected muscles four to seven days with progressive effect over up to two, three weeks and a prolonged effect over three months. This allows the statement that botulinum toxin reduces the pressure the intramuscular pressure and therefore the load on the mechanical pain receptors and nerve endings that lead to pain sensations. Another fact is that botulinum toxin reduces exocytosis of other neurotransmitters at synaptic level as well that it by an indirect me mechanism reduces sensitization of the pain transmitting system in the limb itself and at spinal cord and even at brain level by reducing excitatory inflammatory neurotransmitters like substance P and CRGP. In an animal model, it could be shown that botulinum toxin injection reduces the number of mechanosensitive pain receptors showing that this down regulation could be a part of the mechanism of botulinum toxin in this specificity associated pain. As well, it could be shown that blood flow in the muscles affected from spasticity was increased by modulating CRGP in this organs. May both mechanisms add to the reduction in pressure from long-standing spastic muscle contractions. So, xeomine injections are indicated in such cases to allow this better blood flow and reduction in mechanoreceptor excitation. And one final question. What recommendations would you like to give to your colleagues? Okay, thank you for this opportunity. My recommendation is please listen to your patient. When you notice pain in the context of spastic limbs, increased velocity-dependent muscle tone, you should remember the results of our last publication. Local injections of xeomine in spastic muscles significantly reduce muscle tone and spasticity-associated pain compared to placebo and it is a chance to get pain-free. Of course, the study showed that with four injection cycles, about half of the patients were pain-free and had moderate to severe pain before. I think that's a big chance for you as a physician, but also for the patient that suffers from pain. So thank you for the chance to present our data. 
Dear Professor Wissel, thank you very much for the profound discussion on the significance of pain in spastic movement disorders. Welcome. Further information on the topic of spastic movement disorders can be found on our website for healthcare professionals and in our show notes. You've been listening to Mertz Podcast, the podcast of Mertz Therapeutics Germany. We hope you will join us again for another episode at www.mertz-podcast.de.